So for Christmas, um, some of you know this if you've you know, been hanging around here for the last month or so. Um, I'm not afraid to admit this, that our Christmas tree has been up since the week after Halloween. Not the week after Thanksgiving, but the week after Halloween. And here's what that means. That means there's, there's a longer opportunity for disaster at my house. I've got three kids all under the age of six. So when you have a Christmas tree up for that long, things happen. So for example, I brought a couple of these with us. This used to be extremely meaningful for, for Becky and I. Uh, when we were first married, we went to Disneyland. And so we got an ornament. That was a Mickey and a Minnie, but one of my children decided they were better as two separate ornaments instead of one, so they ripped that one off. There's that one. We had this one that we got for our kids. That's the Green Eggs and Ham book ornament, uh, minus a head. They have a thing with just pulling things apart, right? Now, this one, this one is not an ornament, but again, meant a lot to me personally. When we had our first son, Connor, our first kid, um, we got one of these willow tree people. You know what I mean? Like the inordinate amount of money people spend on this little action figure. That's what they really are. Expensive action figures. There's mine. So this is my wife, and that's me without the head. And then there apparently is, is our son. And we have a house full of these, of broken ornaments, broken stuff. And my kids are great at pointing out who else did it. So like Connor will run in and dad, 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 look what Cole did. And Cole's like, look what Collins did. Collins can't really talk, so she just like stands there. And super cute, right? She'll come up with one of these in her hand that has like ripped heads off. The head is a, is a thing in my family for some reason. I'm a little concerned. If you're a counselor, let's talk afterwards. But obviously there's a problem. They come up and, and something's broken. They pulled an ornament off or they weren't supposed to be anyway. They knew it was wrong. And they come up and they say, Dad, it broke, and I'm like, it broke or you broke it was like the first thing that I say. But then I say something else, and, and if you're a parent, if you've been a parent, you, you know you've said things like this when your kids bring this to you. You start to say something along the lines of, how in the world did that happen? Like, this was, this was on a shelf five times as tall as you. How did you even get to that? Why were you even thinking it was a good idea? How did it happen? Right when I get one of these ornaments that's broken and handed to me, I say, what were you thinking? How did that happen? Try to, try to walk me through that, right? What we're looking for, what I at least am looking for as a parent, is give me some kind of an explanation. I know it's not going to be a good explanation. I just want some kind of an explanation. Help me understand what happened, how it happened, what was going through your mind. The nativity scene is, is very similar if you've been with us the last month, and you know we've been looking at this nativity scene. This is mine from home. We use it to teach our kids about the Christmas story. So we started out by talking about the wise men. The wise men came from the Far East. They saw a star. They wanted to come and see and worship Jesus. And then you have the shepherds. We talked about the shepherds next. And, and the shepherds were in a field nearby. And then started with one angel. Then a whole host of angels presented the shepherds with this great news and then last week we talked about Joseph and, and him trying to figure out this line between faithful and foolish and, and what do I decide? What am I supposed to do? And then you have Mary and, of course, Jesus, who we're going to talk through tonight. But what we've been saying is this, this snapshot, this split-second moment, first of all, isn't even all that accurate. We've been talking through that, but, but more so it's just not realistic. We look at that nativity scene as, oh, what a perfect moment. Everybody's just circled up, worshiping and around Jesus. And yeah, that's a split-second snapshot. But it doesn't show you that nativity scene that we are so accustomed to seeing. We don't see the before and the after. 
And in fact, the question that I ask my kids is the same question I want us to ask about this whole scene is, how in the world did it actually happen? How in the world did it, did it get to this moment? Because before as well as after that snapshot, and it's a very messy story. It's a very troubling story in many cases as we've seen. But as we focus on Mary specifically, how did it get to this point? Because it didn't just happen and it didn't just start like this. What led up to it? Or again, the question of how, how did it get to that point? How did we get this snapshot? How in the world did it actually happen? Because it was messy leading up to it. What's the explanation? Give me some kind of understanding on how it actually happened. So if you've got your Bibles, head over to Luke chapter one. If not, we'll put the, screen, put the scriptures on the screen right here behind me. Here's what Luke records. Luke chapter one, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, I know that was Gabriel's message to Mary, but some of you might just need to hear that. God is with you. The Lord is with you. And even though that was true for Mary, it's most certainly true for us today. Here's Mary's response, verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. We would all be troubled. We would be disturbed. There would be agitation. You, you got to understand the sense of anxiety, the nerves, the uncertainty. What's about to happen? What is he going to say? What am I in trouble for? He said highly favored, but was that the beginning? Is this one of those like pat, punch, pat? You ever had one of those? You get patted on the back, you get punched in the face, and then, oh, but you're doing a good job. Was it one of those? No idea what this angel's showing up really means. The nerves, the anxiety, the uncertainty would have been massive. Here's what happens next. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called son, be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. It sounds amazing, doesn't it? Gabriel, the angel, has a message from God specifically for Mary and begins to paint a picture and paints this picture for Mary. Understand what you are part of. Understand what's going to happen. You, Mary, are going to give birth to a son. It's going to be not just a son. It's going to be the son of God, Jesus, and he's going to save people. He's going to bring hope and light into this world. And not just for now, not just for this scene, but he even paints a picture into the future. His kingdom will never end. And you just got to think, man, what a miracle. This is incredible. Mary had to be on cloud nine. I get to be part of that. That's awesome. But her response, man, would be exactly what I would assume our response would be. This wonderful picture the angel painted for her, but there's a big question mark still, right? That big question, that sounds great, but walk me through that. <laughs> How are we going to get there? And that's exactly what she does. She asks the same question that we have started asking. Verse 34, Luke records it. How, say how with me, how, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? How? I would imagine Mary's thinking, this is wonderful, this is great, this is amazing, what a miracle. Gabriel, that message from God, this is such an incredible, miraculous scene that you're painting for me and in the future. Wow, that's awesome that I get to be part of it. But how's this actually going to work out? 
I, I, understand, I, I understand what you're saying, but I don't understand how it's going to actually happen. See, she was stuck in, in this place, this moment of how, right? How is that going to happen? Because in my mind, there's no possible way that could make sense. It doesn't seem possible, so help me understand, right? That's why we ask how. How means we need an explanation. How means we don't fully understand. How means I can't quite see what you're trying to show me. So even though Gabriel paints this elaborate, wonderful, miraculous, beautiful picture of things to come that Mary is going to be part of, she struggles because she's saying, that's great, but how? Because it doesn't seem possible. And understand, when we go down that road of how, I need to understand because I don't understand because it doesn't seem possible, we eventually get to a word of impossible. Mary says, How's that going to happen? Because it seems impossible. How's it going to happen? Because that's a great nativity scene, but it seems impossible. And here's what impossible does to us. Impossible implies our lack of hope. It just implies a lack of hope, period. When we get stuck in the how's it going to work out, how's this going to ever work out, how's that going to happen, I'm at point A, you're telling, them, telling me about point B, how are we going to get from A to B? It seems impossible, so I have no hope that it's actually going to happen. How's it going to happen? And I hope as I'm talking about these impossible scenes, like Mary would have understood how great it is, but also had a hard time truly wrapping her mind around it and understanding it. It seemed impossible. The nativity scene was impossible for Mary. She was stuck in that moment of how. And I hope that you start to think of what are the impossible scenes for you. What is that scene that you have in your mind that you at once, at one point were hoping for, but you've started to lose hope because that scene seems impossible? Maybe it's a scene of your whole family gathering together together for Christmas. That just, that just seems impossible. It sounds great. I would love it to happen, but I have no hope of that happening. It's impossible. It's just, I don't understand how that's going to happen. Maybe it's graduation. I, I like the idea of graduating. I have this wonderful scene of graduating, but I don't see how that's actually going to happen. It seems impossible. There's that job that I, I feel like would be ideal and I think I would be great at, but it just seems too far out of reach. I don't see how it could happen. How could it possibly work out? The tragedy, the crisis, the death, the loss, the hurt, the disappointment, the discouragements in life. God, you promised that all things are going to work out for good, but I don't see how that could ever happen in my situation, in my circumstance. So God, it just seems impossible. As a parent, I hope with all of my heart that one day I will have a quiet dinner around the table in the kitchen. And I think that's, some things are just beyond God's control, right? And some things are just way out of reach. But everything else, we have these scenes that seem impossible. And so Mary is stuck with how, just like we get stuck in how. That's great. That looks awesome. That sounds wonderful. How is it going to happen? How could it possibly be? Because it, to me, seems impossible. Now, what Luke records next is the explanation. This is what the angel Gabriel says in response to Mary's question. What was the H word? What was the big question? How? Here's his answer. The angel answered, verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born and will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable or it was impossible to conceive is in her sixth month. 
Verse 37, here's how he concludes his brief explanation. For no word from God will ever fail. What's funny here is how Gabriel tries to explain this. I feel like he's almost like this dad trying to explain to somebody, like a kid that doesn't quite understand. I do this to my kids all the time. They'll ask a question, how or why? And I actually start with the real explanation. And it doesn't go very well because they just give me deer in the headlights looks. And then I finally get to the place where I'm like, it's just the way it works. Don't worry about it. Trust me. You eventually get to that point, right? Or is the, the famous words of every parent, because I said so. That's just how it works at why it works. And it feels kind of like that's what Gabriel's doing. He starts out with like an illegit explanation. Well, here's how this is going to work with the Holy Spirit. And then he kind of, well, that's not really a good explanation. So then he said, well, you're, look, your, your cousin Elizabeth, she's actually, she's in her sixth month. So she's, well, that's not really going to work either. You know what? No word from God will ever fail, Mary. <laughs> it's like this decline of an explanation. He starts to explain and then just kind of tapers off. And he ends with just saying, you know what? Trust me. Trust the word of God. And in fact, a better translation in the original language that this was written in, that phrase, for no word of God will ever fail, is actually only three Greek words. U, Adonateo, and Theos. U, nothing. Adonateos, impossible. Theos, God. Nothing is impossible with God. Gabriel had that as his explanation. Three words. To answer her how question, three words, ooh, adonateo, theos, nothing is impossible with God. It sounds great. It's a great scene you've painted, but how? Nothing is impossible with God, the angel says. And in that moment, something began to change for Mary. It wasn't a change of situation. It wasn't a change of all of a sudden, great understanding. It, it wasn't any other change other than something in her heart. And I want you to see what began to change because here's her next response. After the angel Gabriel said those three words, nothing is impossible with God, here's what she said next. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. She started with how. That sounds great. It sounds wonderful. I'm all for it, but doesn't seem very possible at all. How could it possibly happen? And then the angel tries to explain, but ends up saying, you know what? Three words, nothing impossible, God. Nothing is impossible with God. And then something changed. Her response changed drastically. It was a 180. It was totally different than where she started. No longer asking how, but now saying, okay, I'm the Lord's servant. Whatever you say, I trust. Whatever you say, I believe. You say this is going to happen, don't get how it's going to happen, but okay. She doesn't worry about the how anymore. Her how was not really answered the way that she was expecting. It changed, did it? Those three words, nothing, it's impossible with God, changed everything for Mary. And again, it was not her situation, it was not her circumstance, it was not even her understanding. It was a realization and a belief for what God was saying through his messenger, Gabriel. God's saying, nothing's impossible with me. If I say it, I mean it. If I say it, it's true. You can trust me, and therefore you can have hope. You see, if nothing is truly impossible with God, then that means everything has hope, right? We said earlier that, man, the impossible implies there's a lack of hope. There is no hope. But when we say that nothing is impossible, all of a sudden we now have hope. Where does hope come from? It comes from Jesus. It comes from the one that we celebrate his birth. And Jesus, because of Jesus, with Jesus, 
We have hope in every situation, in every circumstance, but it's only in him. That's what Mary realized and began to believe in that moment, that with Jesus, there is hope and hope in every situation. When we start out saying, how is this possibly gonna work out? I don't see how this could ever work. God, I hear your promises, and I, I show up on Sunday, and I heard what the pastor said, and I've read this, and, but it sounds great, but I don't understand how that could ever happen. We get stuck in the how, and God's message to Mary was very simple. Nothing is impossible with me, he says through Gabriel, and it changed everything for her. She moved from how, I don't need to know how anymore, right? She moved from how to now hope. I now have hope that what you say is true because, well, you said it. <laughs> and even though I don't fully understand, I don't need to fully understand, nothing is impossible with God. Jesus gives us hope in every single one of our situations. Doesn't mean that our situations turn out the way that we want them to. Don't miss that. <laughs> in fact, we do have a promise from Jesus, and it's there will be trouble in this life. But you know what he says after that? He says, but I've overcome the world. In other words, you don't have to ask how. You just need to have hope in who? In him, in Jesus. I learned a very important lesson last Christmas. It was literally Christmas morning. And I'm just telling you, Santa last year did an awesome job for our kids. I mean, like, you should be proud of Santa in our house. You get what I'm saying here? Santa did good. Really, really, really good. And what Santa did for my two oldest kids is he got this big Hot Wheels, like, race them, crash them course. It's super, super cool. So the kids wake up super, super early Christmas morning. They run downstairs. They see this awesome toy that Santa did such a good job on. I just want to really reiterate that over and over and over again. Did an awesome job with, and they just, everything else goes on hold. They stop everything else. They're like, dude, this is great. So they're trying to play, and they come over to me, and they're like, Dad, it's not working. And I'm like, what do you mean it's not working? Yeah, this is the greatest thing ever. And they're like, well, yeah, but there's no batteries. And at that moment, I realized the, the mistake that Santa made is that he brought this really cool, awesome toy, but he didn't bring any batteries. And these are not just any batteries. It took, like, car batteries to power this thing. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about, like those massive D batteries, and it's not just like one. No, 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 you've got to have like 18 of them that you line up every which way, and then it finally works. And I'm like, dude, I'm like that Connor and Cole. I said, guys, it is Christmas morning. You know, you can write a letter to Santa and complain to his customer service, but I don't know what to tell you to do, man. Like, it's Christmas morning, nothing except Waffle House is open, and Waffle House does not have batteries. I don't know what to tell you. So I did what every dad would do. I try to make the situation better by making it worse. I say, well, look, you can still play with it. You don't need, batteries are optional, it's not required. You just like push the cars around the track. See, isn't this fun, kids? We can do this all day long. And they're just like, dad, we're, we, we have to have batteries. And so to save Santa's reputation, I said, daddy will come to the rescue because of what Santa missed. So I'm a, I know, I'm a terrible father, aren't I? And so I load all of our kids up, our whole family. I mean, it's early still. We're in PJs. We look terrible. We get everybody in our minivan, and we start driving around town trying to find some store open that also had these batteries. Again, they had AA batteries at some of these places. But I'm like, no, 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 no. I need, I need a bunch of these big batteries. I'm like, we don't carry those, sir. And I'm like, oh, no help. So I drove around, and finally, I kid you not, after multiple failed attempts, we found the Savior store. Are you ready to hear racetrack literally across the street. I said, thank you. I said, I'm buying everything from racetrack from here on out. 
I am a racetrack fan. I will preach racetrack till I'm in the ground. Thank you, racetrack. So I go in and I buy these batteries. I go to the cashier, check them out, and the guy gave me this look of like, oh, I see what you forgot there. I said, I don't need to hear it from you, mister. I've been hearing it all morning. So we go home, we put the batteries in, and it was great. Christmas was saved because of racetrack. So thank you, racetrack. Yes. So here's the point. One, do your due diligence, Santas. Uh, but more importantly, why did we spend so much time running around town looking for batteries? Well, because it doesn't work without batteries, does it? No, and let me just tell you, you can have a lot in this life. You can have very little in this life. Regardless, it doesn't work. Life doesn't work without hope. It might feel like it does. You might try to make it work, but I'm telling you, without hope, life doesn't work. Why? Because hope is what gives us life. Who gives us hope? Jesus. Jesus gives us hope. He gives us life. And we try to go through this life pushing it ourselves, and it does not work. We have to have hope. So maybe you're stuck in the how, right? And you're thinking of all of these scenes that seem impossible. I don't have an answer on how it's going to work. No clue. Gabriel did his best to explain it, and he stopped. <laughs> I don't have a great how answer for you. The answer that I'm going to give you is the same answer that we read from the angel, Gabriel, is those three original words, u arimateos theos, nothing is impossible with God. That's where our hope lies. I love how the author of Hebrews, he, he reiterates this idea of hope and how we are to interact with it. Here's what the writer says, let us hold tightly without wavering, without moving, without falling, without giving up. Let us hold tightly without wavering to look to the hope we affirm, to the hope that we've had, to the hope that we once said. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. Here's why. For God can be trusted to keep his what? What's it say up there? His promise. Let us hold tightly without wavering and it's gonna get tough if it's not already it's gonna get tough but let us hold tightly to that hope what is our hope in jesus so how do we have that hope well, we trust in him right that's what writer of hebrews said let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm how does that happen why does that happen because we trust god and he is good on his word he can be trusted what he says happens. And no, it may not happen the way that we want or the way that we imagine, but nothing is impossible with God. So if you find yourself like Mary, with these great scenes and images and former hopes of something working out, it sounds great. I would love for that to happen. I, I, I love the idea, but if you keep finding yourself stuck in the how, Stop looking for a great answer. I don't have one. But nothing is impossible with God. And may our response change. May that change everything. Instead of asking how, we say, well, I've got hope. Well, how do you have hope? How do you know it's going to work out? Jesus. Let's not overcomplicate what was intended to be very simple. Jesus gives us hope. Jesus even said, I am the light of the world. In other words, he brings hope into dark places. But my hope for you is that it wouldn't just be Jesus is the light of the world or the hope of the world, but that you would personalize him. Jesus is the hope of my world. Jesus is the light of my life. That's why he came. 
He came for you. He came for me. That's his name, Jesus, Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. Not them, God with us. And he is most certainly with you. Every time we're asking how, I don't understand, I don't get it, I don't see how this is going to work out. May we respond with hope. I don't know how it's going to work out. But Jesus, I trust you. I trust you are good even when life is not. Jesus, I trust your words even when I don't understand them. Jesus, I trust that you love me, that you forgive me, that you are with me and will never leave me. For some of you, you need to hold tightly to that hope for the first time. And all you do is you say, okay, Jesus, I need you in my life. And I don't understand how and why. You don't need to understand all of it. You hold on to hope, like Hebrews tells us. If I were to guess, the majority of you in this room, like me, need to hold on to hope again. Throughout our life, we're disappointed. We get discouraged. We fall down. Hurts, habits, hangups go down the list. They all happen. And along the way, our trust in Jesus begins to erode. And there goes our hope with him. So may I encourage you and even challenge you, even maybe push you to hold on to hope again. It's a great scene. I don't see how it's going to happen. Come back to hope. Trust in Jesus again. Because he, once again, is the light of the world, the hope of the world. But he is most certainly the light and hope of your world as well. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for coming for me, for coming for us and bringing hope and life and light with you. God, help us when we get stuck in the hows. How's it gonna happen? How's it gonna work out? I don't see how this could ever be possible. And we become paralyzed and hindered by the how question. It's a good question to ask, but it doesn't lead to hope. God, through your Holy Spirit, give us that hope that is only found in you. Everything that we strive for, everything that we try to push for, may we first go for hope. Jesus, you came to give us just that. So we trust in you, whether it's for the first time here this morning or whether it is, it is a, a restart. It is a renewal of our hope and our trust in you. May that happen this morning as we move into not just the season, but into the new year. May we have a renewed hope and a renewed trust in you once again. Jesus, thank you for coming once again to be with us, to walk with us, to teach us most certainly and most definitely, most importantly, to love us. We trust you and we place our hope once again in you. In Jesus' name, amen.